Brothers and sisters, let's worship his holy name together by hearing the word of the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated, and if you would, grab your Bibles. Turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, picking it up in verse 9. The psalmist continues, O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, and listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will ever be condemned. Let's pray together. Great God in heaven, what a marvelous testimony to your work. I pray that it would be the testimony that guides and directs each one of us in that same way. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the great uh, joys of my job uh, one of the things that makes my job kind of easy is that most people know what to expect whenever they get together with me. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about God. If I call you up and we set a meeting and we get together for some reason or another, you can pretty much guarantee that somewhere along the lines in the conversation we're going to end up talking about Jesus. Now, all of us love to talk about Jesus. We all want to do that. We recognize that that's part of what God has called us to do. We live in a world that desperately needs to hear about Jesus, and so we all should be about talking about Jesus a lot. But I know that in many situations, it's kind of awkward, and it's hard to engage, it's hard to start those kind of conversations with people, because I'm a pastor, people expect it, they know what they're getting whenever they get together with me, so whenever I get together with somebody and start saying, hey, let's talk about Jesus, you know, they're kind of expecting it. They know that it's coming, and so they're not weirded out by it. It's nice, easy, smooth transition for me to begin to talk about our Lord together. And when we do, usually things fall into one of two categories. The first category is that there's some questions or concerns or sometimes arguments or frustrations about God that are voiced in there, and I very much so enjoy those kind of conversations. 
I believe that there is great reason behind our faith. There's a great understanding that undergirds our faith and that communicates it well to the rest of the world. I believe that we can communicate the gospel message incredibly well by answering questions, by talking uh, through the difficulties that people have in talking about Jesus. So those are always fun conversations. The other conversations that I have with people uh, fall under the testimony category, let's call it. The testimony category is that category where people talk about Jesus or talk about God by kind of saying, well, this is what things were like, and this is what God did, and now this is the way things are from here on forward. It's kind of that, that pattern of testimony. Here's what it was, and here's what, it is, here's what God did, and here's what it's like today. Those are at least half of the conversations I have, or perhaps even a little bit more. That's the pattern that Psalm 34 follows, the psalm we just read. That's the pattern that Psalm 34 follows. It kind of charts for us that testimony path of saying, look, here's what was the case, here's what God did, and now here's what's new, or here's the way in which I'm gonna respond in my life. Part of what we're doing here during looking at the psalm series is trying to encourage you to, to take a look at the psalms as a way of expressing the experiences that you yourself have gone through in life. And so that's one of the reasons why we're emphasizing the book of Psalms, so that when we read these things, so that when you read these things, you can kind of self-identify with a lot of what the psalmist is talking about. My hope is that you are going to be able to self-identify in your own testimony, your experience, if you're a believer or not if you're a believer, not all of us at some point or another have some kind of experience with God that kind of follows the pattern of Psalm 34. So uh, we lay out Psalm 34 as we do so you can kind of see this pattern and, I, and say, hey, yes, I have experienced that or I can identify that. I know a little bit of what's going on in here. So as with most of you, whenever I talk with you about your testimony or your experiences with God, it usually starts with something like, well, this is what had happened or this is what it was like or something along those lines. The trouble, the difficulty that you were in. And the psalmist has, speaks directly to that. What, what is it that we have done or what is it that you, you find yourself in? You have sought the Lord in verse 4. You've cried out in verse 6 and verse 17. The brokenhearted and the crushed you know, often experience the way in which we identify things that are happening in life. Down in verse 18, we're brokenhearted. We are crushed in certain ways. Now, in talking like that, the, you may not use those words, and that's okay. Uh, in, in the times in which you have confronted difficulties in your life or struggles in your life, you may not talk about being brokenhearted or crushed or something like that. Uh, maybe you don't use the language, I sought after the Lord or I cried out to him. The beauty of the, the Psalms is that they are both specific enough that you can find yourself there and they're generic enough so that you can identify similarities that are present there. Maybe you don't talk in terms of being brokenhearted or crushed uh, or seeking after the Lord, but as soon as you read them in the psalmist, as soon as the psalmist speaks that way, it's easy for you to say, yes, that's what it's like when I'm having trouble with my family. That's what it's like when disease hits. That's what it's like in the midst of these uncertain times economically or socially that's happening in our world and our society. It's easy for 
us, I think, to look at those things and say, yeah, crushed, brokenhearted. Those are good terms to identify what we experience every day. But the great part of a testimony is not necessarily hearing about what things were like in your life. The great part of a testimony is to hear what God has done, and the psalmist is eager to tell those kind of things. So in verse 4, the Lord answers us. In verse 5 and verse 8, the Lord hears what is going on. In verse 5 and 18, the Lord saved us from these difficulties. We are seen by God. We are redeemed by him. In verse 22, uh, he draws near the brokenhearted in verse 18. And we are delivered in verses 4 and verse 17. We are delivered by the Lord into all of these things. So here comes the difficulty that we find ourselves in. And then what does God do? God steps into the gap and he answers us. He hears us. He delivers us. He saves us. He redeems us. One comment that's worth noting about the redeemed part of this, uh, in particular the way in which the word deliverance is used. How are we delivered? The word in the scriptures is a completedness, a totality. It's not a process, it's not something ongoing, it is something that has been completed in our lives. I spent some time with some of the youth at the church uh, over this past week, and we were out in a yard in a big field, and we had a bunch of knickknacks and and, uh, equipment that was scattered throughout the the yard, and I said to the kids, hey, let's go uh, back to the cars quickly and get uh, get your lunch, and so everybody ran off, and there was one kid that kind of stayed, and I said, hey, help me clean up here everything, will you? And he says, oh, sure. And he goes and grabs the smallest thing in the yard, kind of with his fingers, and then walks to the car with it and drops it off, and that was the end. And I thought to myself, well, I guess that is helping. (laughs) You know, it kind of helped, sort of, kind of. Um, I think a lot of us tend to think a little bit like that of God's work in our lives. When we cry out to the Lord and we ask the Lord for help, he kind of does the minimum to push us over the goal line to save us in in doing what is necessary. That's never the biblical picture. The biblical picture portrays our Lord as, as providing a salvation, providing a deliverance that is so complete and total that the scriptures consistently talk about it in the past tense. The Lord delivered us, past tense, even though then the scriptures make it clear that what the Lord has begun to work in your life, he will bring it to completions. Have no fear. And so part of the way in which the psalmist is encouraging us to think about it is that when we talk about the work of the Lord in our lives, when we say, hey, this is what God has done, when we talk about the difficulties and the struggles that were part of our life, then we need to talk, we need to think about God's salvation as a completed act, as something that is fulfilled. Sure, the Lord might be working it out in your life, but it is so certain, it is so complete that it is spoken of in the past tense. God has saved you. God has delivered you. And because of that great deliverance, then there's a transformation that takes place. The psalmist then speaks not just of what, uh, what he will do in light of what God has done, but what changes taken place in his own life. So in verse 4, Uh, I'm sorry, in verse 5, we are radiant because of what the Lord has done. We are not ashamed because of what the Lord has done. We have been saved, past tense, in verse 5 and verse 18. In verse 8, we are blessed. Now, the blessed line here helps us see what the psalmist is saying. 
because of what God has done, it's not just the circumstances of my life that have changed, but my state, my standing, the, the inside of me has changed. Now, my guess is that most of the times when you cry out to the Lord, you're crying out because the circumstances in your life are difficulty. Um, your kids are in chaos, your parents are sick, your job is a mess, there's sorrow and sadness in your life, and you are crying out to God, God, please, all of these circumstances are way beyond my control, please step in here and do a marvelous work. And what we're hoping for is that God will change the circumstances, that the cancer will be taken away, that the coworker will be fired. No, uh, so the coworker will ease up on life, that, uh, you know, that the social situation, the world around us will be trans changed. Uh, and, and all of that is appropriate. And we see God do exactly those things. God so often in our lives does reach out and change the circumstances in our lives. It's a beautiful thing. But mostly, what the scripture portrays for us, when God answers our prayers, is not changing our circumstance, but changing us. We are transformed. We are changed. We are made new. Sometimes that means a change also in the circumstances, which are great. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes those difficult circumstances continue on and God has nevertheless responded lovingly to your prayers by changing who you are. That's exactly what the psalmist is getting at when he talks about, now I am radiant, I am not ashamed, I have been saved, I have been delivered, I am made new. That kind of transformation is pictured here in this psalm which I desire for all of you to talk in terms of when you share your own testimonies. This is what the Lord has done, and now this is the, its impact upon me. Now that impact also is reflected in what the psalmist does. So if you look in verses 1 through 3 here, five different things the psalmist does just in those first three verses as a response to what God has done. I was in this misery. The Lord has acted he has transformed my life, and now that allows me to act in response. And so, bless, I will bless the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will make boasts in the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let's exalt his name together. There's that plethora there of imperatives. Hey, let's do this now because what God has done in our lives. And man, that's a great thing of getting together with you and talking about your testimonies and hearing what God has done. Hey, this is the situation I was in. God did this. He changed my life. And now look what I get to do. That's a beautiful thing to behold, and I get a chance to see it. This is a very active psalm. We get to see God in action doing things. We get to see humans in action in response to the psalm. But I want to draw our attention to something that's not active at all, that I think is the foundation of this psalm. Take a look at verse 8 with me, if you would. If you have that in your scriptures. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, You'll have to take my word for this, or I encourage you to go back and check to see if I'm right about this. 
This is the only character trait of God that is mentioned in the psalm. In other words, there's lots of things in the psalm that uh, we're told that God does. God acts in this way. God acts this way. And there are praise to God because of the things that he does. That's great. And we should do that. We should learn how to do that. Thank you, Lord, for doing this, that, or the other thing. But here we have a line that is entirely different. This line is not telling us what God has done. It tells us what God is. God is good. Now, I challenge you to go back and check and see if I'm reading this psalm correctly. But I think what's happening here is that the psalmist is all eager to tell us everything that God has done, and all of it rests upon that one fundamental assertion that God is good. Why does God act to save us? Why does God redeem his people? Why does he draw near and hear? Why does he bless the way in which he does? All of the things the Lord does is all centered around an outpouring of that central characteristic of God. God is good. Now, it doesn't say God is holy. He certainly is. Other scriptures testify to that. It doesn't say God is love. Other scriptures testify to that. This passage emphasizes the goodness of God. God is good. So what do we mean by that? Uh, God being good. good. The word good is used 700 times, over 700 times in the Old Testament. So there's a wide range of things in which we can talk about. Goodness forms into a lot of different pictures. And so what does the scripture, when the scripture uses the term good, what are they trying to imply? Well, trying to summarize those 700 things, which, you know, there are animals that are good, there are trees that are good, there are days that are good, there's speech that is good. There's all this kind of goodness that is associated with, with the scriptures. How do we understand goodness as a whole in the scriptures? I, I want to put forward three ideas. First, that it is beneficial to life. Something is good if it is beneficial to life. And that's why so often goodness is contrasted with evil, as it is in our text itself. If you look in verse 12, uh, sorry, 14, turn away from evil and do good. There's a contrast between the beneficial character of this thing, which makes it good, versus the destructive characteristic of the thing, which makes it evil. Goodness and evil are contrasted here based upon its beneficial character to life. Secondly, if it's pleasing to experience. If something, if you've had a good day, it is because it has been pleasing to experience that day as good. And then thirdly, if it's suitable for a purpose. And so a tree in the scriptures is identified as good, not simply because it provides shade, but because it provides shade and because it provides fruit. A speech is good in the scriptures, not because it, is, it, it has good words attached to it or it was well delivered, but because it served a purpose. It was persuasive in that regard. The goodness that is associated in scripture is that it fulfills its purpose. Now, why do we go through this? Because when the scripture says God is good, he's inviting you to think of your Lord as good. Now, theoretically, that's usually fairly easy for us to do. 
We've been taught all of our lives that God is good. We think in, terms of that, in those terms, etc. But the goodness of God is often challenged by our everyday circumstances. If God is so good, why are things so bad? If God is good, why is my life so difficult? Now, most of us are able to take a self-look, a self-reflection, and identify that a lot of the trouble I find myself in is self-induced. I bring it upon myself. But there's enough of my life that is difficult that is not my fault. There's enough of my life that is a struggle that I didn't have a hand in bringing upon myself. If God is good, where comes these difficulties? To answer that question, I want you to look at the first part of the text. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. This is an invitation. The, the author here is directing you. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He is saying, look, uh, you guys know what a taste is, and, and it's a little different than what we, we tend to think of, you know, if you just take a taste of it, you're touching your tongue to it, and that's all there is to it. Notice, by the way, that if, if you taste something that's really powerful, strong one way or the other, you want somebody else to do it. Oh, this tastes terrible. Here, have some. You know, I never understand that, but that always happens. Or, oh, it tastes wonderful, have some. My mother always says that you can tell in a big group of people out to dinner party, you can always tell who the married couples are because she has her fork in his plate, um, testing his food or, or uh, eating some of his food, that kind of a thing. So, you know, tasting is kind of the way we kind of have it in our mind. It's just a, a, a touch on the tongue or something like that. The scriptures kind of portray tasting as a deeper experience. You taste something, not just by touching it quickly, but by engaging in it, by experiencing it. And so what the psalmist is saying here is he's, he is saying, hey, try this out. See if this is not true. King Ahaz was one of the kings that ruled in Jerusalem and at one point in his reign, he found himself confronted by enemies on every side. And the powerful Syrian army in particular was besieging him at that point. And he was in terror of losing his kingdom, of losing his population. And it was a horrid experience. And God spoke to him through the prophet and said, ask for a sign. Ask for any sign and I will give you any sign you want to prove that I am with you and I will be with you always. And Ahaz, in his fake piety, says, oh, I won't put the Lord to the test. I don't want to do that to God. And the prophet, God through the prophet says, you fool. I've invited you to taste and to see. If not, you can trust me. You can trust me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Try it. And see if that's not the case. Now the reality is that the sign that King Ahaz gets isn't fulfilled for another 700 years. The sign that King Ahaz receives isn't fulfilled for 700 years. 
So it may very well be that as you are tasting, as you are seeing, that you don't acknowledge, you can't experience, you don't recognize the goodness of the Lord. But what he's inviting is he's saying, try it and see if it is not true. I haven't used this for a while, but decades ago, it was a built-in part of my evangelistic experience to say to people, why don't you, if you're not sure, why don't you test it out? What would it be like if you lived faithfully as a Christian? And I realize that that is a fabulous question that all of us should experience all the time. The command here in the scriptures, taste and see that the Lord is good. What would it be like if you lived your life every day as though you really believed the promises of God? What would it be like if you really lived that faithful Christian witness, that faithful Christian life every day as though you really believed that God was good, that you really believed that he loved you in every way, that you really believed that your sin was completely taken away on the cross of Jesus Christ, that you really believed that he has made you new and completely reshaped you so that you need never be ashamed, so that you are radiant in God's eyes. What would it be like if you really lived that way? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would work in our hearts in such a way that we would be transformed by the scriptures, that we would acknowledge and see that, God, you are good, and in that goodness that we are made new. Lord, in being made new, that we can live faithfully according to your call. God, we want to taste and see that you are good. We want to experience and try for ourselves the truths of the gospel message in every way, not just in the easy ways, but in every possible way. Lord, you can make that so. You can make that happen in our lives. And we pray that you will do so through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior.